right, so we are in Genesis. And if you guys remember last week, we did the, the flood story. So we were in Genesis. Uh, we did three chapters last week. So I think we did seven, eight, and a part of nine. And we're going to finish out nine uh, today. So if you need a Bible, Mike is grabbing a stack of them right now. Raise your hand. Mike will hand you a Bible. And we'll read through this together. Cool. So will you guys stand with me as we read through scripture together? So Genesis 9, we're going to go 18 through 28, which is the last verse in in this chapter. The sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan, and these three are the sons of Noah. And from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. Noah began to be a man of the soil and he planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and knew his young and knew what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall be, shall he be to his brothers. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem, and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. All the days of Noah were 950 years, and then he died. That's what we're going to cover tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for another day, and though... I may say that every day, Lord, it's, uh, it's genuinely true. We're grateful that we are standing here. Uh, we are breathing. You've given us another day uh, to experience your creation, to experience a fellowship, to experience family, Lord, and love. And uh, there's so many good things that we just take for granted, so we thank you for it. Uh, Lord, right now, I ask and we ask together corporately, would you lead us and guide us as we study your word and we dive in and dissect what uh, you're saying to us through your word? Holy Spirit, would you speak through me and would the things that just simply come from me, the person, would those uh, fall away quickly? But would your living word uh, ring loudly in all of our lives in this week as we go through your word and just study it? as a family together. And as we pray this evening, Father, would you uh, hear our prayers as I know you do? Lord, would you intervene in those situations? And as we take communion, Father, we just, again, we're grateful. And as we worship together, Lord, we ask that you would be glorified, that you would be lifted up as your kids sing to you. And, and then, Father, as then we then break and we take milk and cookies and we hang out, Lord, would you use something as silly as that to knit our hearts together, to form relationships, Lord, to, to build your kingdom as we strive and as we co-labor together. Uh, we love you, praise you, we trust in you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, guys. So, if you guys remember last week, if you are here last week, so we, we uncovered the story of the flood story. And uh, the main thing that I was trying to get away from that was that Noah was a man who was walking in faith. 
and we see the beginning of the beginning and the end, which we're studying the end now is the end of the, the flood story. Right after this, we're going to get into a genealogy. So we've between today and last week, we're going to cover the entire flood, flood story. The flood story is bookend by a little section speaking of Noah and his sons. And so in the very beginning, we see this is, this is Noah and his sons. And then we see the, the flood story take place. And now we're at the back end. We're seeing the same thing that now these are Noah and his sons and the whole earth. There's no one else there. Remember we talked about last week, how scary that must be. And we don't, I don't think we stop and think about how much faith and trust that must have Noah still must have needed to show and that he stepped off an ark and the whole earth is empty. That's really scary. It's really freaky, but Noah was trusting. Um, so we're, we're bookending it. And what's interesting about how we close out, um, the flood story, 18 through 28, I believe there's an overarching theme. If you guys have, have heard me say over and over and over again, as we go through scripture, um, it's funny. Micah's wife, Molly is like just recently really got into star Wars. And so she said, I love that for five weeks straight, you've referenced star Wars. And so um, I was about to reference star Wars. And I just thought of Molly, like if she's in the nursery watching, she's like, yeah, star Wars. Uh, but like Star Wars, so we'll all just be nerds together, is that there's an overarching theme. And though we see where Star Wars jump around, right, from planet to planet, all these different places, there's so many plots going on. But the, that's the, the design of that, those films, is that there's so much going on, but you see how it's all tying together, this complex, grand story. Same thing's happening here. There's actually a lot, and maybe you... S- already saw it. Maybe I'll unpack it for you tonight, but there's a lot that gets touched on between 18 and 28 here at the end of the flood story. And it can kind of be a jump off point to have, I don't think pet doctrines is the right word, but it can be a jump off point where it, I don't believe it's this, the, the, the main theme of what the author is trying to get across. So we're going to go through and we're going to unpack Eight, three, eight, eight, three, 18 through 28. And then I'm going to try to give us some bullet points of what I think we can walk away from as we look at this flood story as a whole. And as we even look at this section, eight, 18, oh, I don't know why I keep saying 18, 18 through 28 in the back end. So let's just start uh, going at it and we'll see the literary design gives us some hints at what is what we should be looking for. Um, so verse 18, the sons of Noah who went forth from the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan right there. That's a road sign right there. So we're going to see in chapter 10, there's a long lineage of, uh, Shem of Ham and of Japheth. So these are the three sons of Noah, right? So we're going to see this lineage that happens. So we should then perk up give some attention to highlight underline that ham was the father of Canaan. So right now somebody's jumping out of the story, right? So we're seeing that we have Shem, Ham, Japheth, Ham was the father of Canaan. So this should give us a hint. Now, as we read onward, what the author is, is directing our attention towards something. So verse 19, 
These three were the sons of Noah, and from these, the people of the whole earth were dispersed. So remember, we had, you guys remember Seth coming from Adam, and that was the hope of this new line that was, that was coming. And then we get to, we follow that lineage to Noah, and then Noah survives the flood. We're, we're, that's where we're coming into the story right now. And then Noah has these, these three sons. And so now, and remember last week we unpacked how, I don't want to get too far into it, but how in Genesis 1-1, the world was this watery, chaotic mess. And then the Lord had, there was, he created order. He created Eden. And so we see that sin through Genesis three, this downward spiral of humanity to where the world is back to metaphorically is back to that uh, watery chaos with the flood. Not that the flood is a metaphor. The flood is historically, this is a, a accurate historical account, but the flood comes in this watery chaos that's happening and he saves uh, Noah. And we went, even went over that. It wasn't that Noah was perfect, although it says that he's righteous, but it was that Noah had faith which we're going to unpack later. So now the whole earth is going to be, is, is coming from this lineage of, of these three brothers coming from Noah and Noah being a man of the soil. He planted a vineyard. He drank of the wine and became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. So there's plenty of verses that we can go to, to talk about alcohol, being drunk and drinking. And we'll go through a few of them real quick just to appease that. So Psalms, if you want to turn there, I'll read through these Psalms 104, 14 through 15. You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate that he may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the heart of man, oil to make his face shine and bread to strengthen a man's heart. That's Psalms scripture. Speaking of wide wine to gladden the heart of man. Then we go to Proverbs 31, four through seven. It's not for Kings. It's not for Kings to drink wine for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. And then right after that, give strong drink to the one who is perishing and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty and remember their misery. No more. Yeah. So you kind of go, huh, maybe this isn't just something strictly cut and dry. I had a, I had a guy call me on the phone, um, a, a friend, but calling me as a pastor, asking me this question of, Hey, am I, am I allowed to drink? And I think that the thing that's happening here is we see, uh, Noah making wine and getting drunk in this verse. This is the first time we're encountering this in scripture. And so we can make this, like I was saying before, we can make this a jump off point to say something about that. I think there's other verses throughout. I know there's other verses throughout scripture that can give us better wisdom on how to deal with alcohol. I don't, this, as we read through this, the author Genesis never condemns or condones this behavior. If you read through this story, it's giving a factual account of this is what happens. And if you notice, which we're going to get to is that. So Noah gets drunk, passes out. And then Ham comes in and sees his father's nakedness, which we're going to unpack. 
And like I just said, nowhere does it condemn or condone Noah's behavior, but Noah curses Ham. And then he asks the Lord to bless uh, Shem and Japheth. So to make this our, our stance, our doctrinal stance on alcohol and drinking, it's just, it's not a good place for it. It's not a good case for it. I'll say this. So even, even as scripture sounds like, man, this isn't cut and dry. This is gray. Like we need to exercise wisdom. I'll even say that the two accounts of drunken drunkenness in Genesis is Genesis nine, where we are. And the next one is going to happen when we get there in Genesis 19. It's when Lot is in the cave with his daughters and his daughters say, there's no man to, to lay with us. Let's get our father drunk. And they sleep with their father. So there's obviously a tripping hazard with alcohol. There's obviously an issue here. I'll give you guys the advice. I think the wisdom that I gave this gentleman on the phone and it's, it's not my wisdom. I, my wisdom comes from scripture. So I'll give you scripture and that'll be way more sure. Um, alcohol is a thing. The issue lies in letting things control you. I would, I would challenge all of us in everyday life to, to view maybe the way that we view alcohol to view everything in our life. Do you view your TV that way? Can you, can you miss a show? Can you not watch TV at a night? Can you not have a certain food? The issue is being is us as believers being controlled by something. There's a verse that our pastor quotes all the time. It's first Corinthians six twelve. It says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I think that last part is the absolute key to all of it is all things are lawful. Not all things are profitable. So that's saying exercise wisdom. There are times I will say there are times where you can drink with someone and it is beneficial. And there are other times where it will not be beneficial. There's times where you could be eating with someone. It's beneficial. And there will be times when you're eating with someone. It's not beneficial. We walk by the spirit guided in wisdom, right? And also we are not to be dominated not simply by drugs and alcohol. We are to be not to be dominated by anything. And I frankly, I think as, as a church, we, and I include myself when I say this stuff, I'm not like, I don't know, this holier than all of you guys. We're all in this together. Uh, I feel bad. Like we have these, at least I grew up with these three of like um, sex, drugs, not rock and roll, but like, <laughs> Yeah. Alcohol, uh, homosexuality. Like we like to pick out, pick out these big, like the sin that we can point at easily where it's, Hey, if you're dominated by, if you're dominated by those cookies and the milk out there, (laughs) faster, Brett cracks me up. He, his thing is donuts and he will, if you bring donuts into the office, he will rebuke you. 
Pastor Craig just being a sweetheart. We had a work day and unknowingly he, we, we all got here at seven o'clock to start cleaning this place out. And Pastor Craig uh, brought donuts and just <laughs> brought the temptation right in front of Brett. But that's how, that's how he viewed it. And then what did you say? There was a bag of jerky, beef jerky <laughs> right next to the donuts. And I, I'm working at the table and Brett goes, John, whose jerky is this? I was like, it's, it's just there. It's for anybody. He says, oh, the Lord provided a way of escape. <laughs> but that's the idea. We shouldn't be dominated by anything. And to, again, I'm already off in the weeds here, but to, to make this verse about drinking, it just, the text doesn't show it. Uh, Noah gets drunk, but then it, it's telling a different story as we unpack this. So good. Side note, sidebar, you guys all good with that? Don't be dominated, dominated by stuff. And if you are, ask the Lord to, to free you from those things. Ask the Lord to show you what those things are. I think a lot of times, if it's not those big ones that I pointed out, that it's easy for all of us to point fingers at, I think we're really unaware. And, we, and all of a sudden go, whoa, I kind of get crabby if I don't have this. Yeah, coffee. <laughs> yeah. It's really serious. Like we should not be dominated by anything. Otherwise exercise wisdom, Christian. Amen. 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 Moving on. Okay. So, uh, so he drank wine, became drunk, lay uncovered in his tent and ham again, the father of Canaan. See how this, this is another flag. So we've already seen Canaan mentioned twice here. So, and Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brothers outside. Then Shem and Japheth took a garment, laid it on both their shoulders and walked backwards and covered the nakedness of their father. Their faces were turned backwards and they did not see their father's nakedness. When Noah woke from his wine and knew what his youngest had done to him, he's, and then he said, we'll get into that. Okay, this chunk right here, there's a lot of speculation on what happened here. And the key word to that is speculation. And I don't say that bad. I, I love taking verses that stuff isn't super clear and chopping it up with um, mature believers, knowing that we're not forming our own pet doctrines off of one small verse. But there's a lot of speculation on what's going here. There's, uh, I'll go through a few of them. I'm not going to unpack them deeply, but just so you guys are aware, as we're going through this, uh, a Bible study, that you're aware of what's out there. And as you're aware, you can be uh, better equipped to engage in conversation and to represent Christ. Some, is, uh, some believe that this was ham castrating Noah. Others are pointing to that this is sodomy between Ham and his father, Noah. Um, one that I'll unpack a few verses for you is if you turn to Leviticus, there's a few places, uh, Leviticus 18.6. Let's do that one. Um, that says, none of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncover nakedness. So right there we go, oh, that's exactly what it says that Ham did say, I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. Okay. Listen to this one. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. So 
This viewpoint is, if you caught that last one, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. So you shall not lay with biblically know your father's wife. You shall not have sex with your father's wife. And what is that? That is your father's nakedness. So there is uh, others. um, And I don't, I don't say any of this condemningly. Uh, I'm hope I'm in the tone of my voice. I'm saying that these are the cards on the table. Uh, There will say that Ham uncovering his father's nakedness was Ham sleeping with Noah's wife. And that Canaan who is mentioned throughout this is the son of that relationship. And they'll unpack even further. That's why, uh, which we're going to get to. That's why Ham was the one who uh, did something with Noah. And if you notice, Noah does not curse Ham. Who does Noah curse? He curses Canaan. Right. Um, Again, this is all speculation. We, you can, commentaries are great. Books are great. At the end of the day, what is our ultimate truth? What is our ultimate foundation? What's in your hands? The word of God. God. So in times like this, if you guys remember through Genesis, uh, specifically the creation account, there was times where I was saying that we, a lot of times approach verses with questions already and then asking a verse to answer that question. And sometimes that verse is not addressing the question that you came to the table with. So how a a responsible way of reading scripture is to empty ourselves, to go to scripture and say, what would you have to say to me? And to, to read it that way, to let the Lord speak to you and not dictate. uh, I need, I want, um, I want to answer to this. And so therefore God, you need to have an answer in this way. Now don't misunderstand me as we go through things in life. Yes, we go to the scripture for answers, but the point is that we empty ourselves of our ideas, our, our notions, what we grew up with, whatever it may be. We approach scripture humbly knowing that it's truth and we read it for what it says. We le- read it literally. And that's the, that's the fail safe of reading scripture. So as I was saying this, there's a lot that's happening between 18 and 28. And I think our best shot at reading through this and having a clear understanding is just to read it for what it says. And honestly, my opinion is, is that what happened here is, is, is exactly what was said. I don't think these other theories line up with the fact of if, if the story ended there, I think it's pretty convincing to be honest with you, but The problem is, is that Shem and Japheth, if the issue is with Ham, I think the strongest case is that Ham slept with, with Noah's wife, just because the literary design. If that's the case, then why is Shem and Japheth walking with a cloak on their shoulders backwards, doing everything they can not to visually see their father's nakedness? It makes the most sense. It's the most clear and it's the most literal. If we just read it, that Ham saw his father's nakedness was super disrespectful. And then he goes and he talks to his brothers and is probably disrespectful about that. And I, I'll be honest with you, like with me, like 
that thought process struggled. It was actually, uh, I, I don't even know who to give credit to as an author, as I'm reading through Genesis and studying to teach who got my brain to like switch gears, which sometimes with, especially in Genesis, if you guys have heard me say this, we get locked in a pattern because Genesis is so familiar. It's hard to read it with fresh eyes. Um, and to where not to be weird, but like I'm, <laughs> I don't even know how to say this. I was going to say the most dumb statement. I was like, I'm a, I'm a guy, which that's obvious. Um, so yeah. <laughs> okay. We got that. So, but I grew up with my dad. And so my dad, and this is totally inappropriate. Why am I going down this road? Um, I grew up with my dad and I'm a little kid. I'm going to do this with my son, Daxton. Like, Hey, do you have to go to the bathroom? Yeah, I have to go to the bathroom. We go to the bathroom, right? We're going to the bathroom together. I see things. And so this verse always mess with me because it just like, it's not like, like there was nothing bad. It was just me and like, it was me and my dad, like what, what in the world? Like is, and so now as an adult is like, is, is there a cultural context I'm missing or what? Right. Like what's, what am I missing here? This seems so heavy for what happened, but the context of imagine if we can get past the, the drunken Noah part, this guy that's called righteous and and that the Lord saves. Remember it's faith. If we can just get to get past that part and see what's the family dynamic here, that this guy is vulnerable, passed out, and his son comes and acts the way he does. When I think of it that way, it makes sense. When I then transpose myself in that situation with my dad, it's like, I think of my dad as my dad was going through dementia. And there was plenty of times where, uh, to be honest with you, I struggled with, I'm in the room and now nurses have to come in and clean my dad up because he can't control himself. And there was parts of, of me not thinking about scripture. I really believe this is like the nature of God working in us. There was parts of me that I would, he would have to stand up and not to be gruesome, but I would grab my dad under his arms and bear hug him and hold him. And there was parts of me that was trying to cover my dad. There was like a dignity. There was a respect for this guy is larger than life to me. And his physical ailments right now aren't showing that picture, but I'm going to protect that picture. And that's not happening here. That's the, the disrespect that's happening. Does that, does that make sense? That help unpack this confusing section. Um, so let's not heap onto it any more than needs to be, but also with mature believers, have fun, open some books, do some searches and have some interesting conversations of, of this stuff. It's, it's okay. So moving on, this happens. Noah wakes up. He sees what has happened. He sees the disrespect of his son. And then we get to verse 23. He says, curse be Canaan. Super interesting side note. We have, we have heard a ton about Noah already, right? We've, we've, uh, we've seen him in the lineage. We've seen him, the Lord call him and the Lord speak to him. And then he's, he's built an ark and they've survived a flood and they've come out really cool trivia fact. This is the first words we have recorded of Noah right here. Curse be Canaan. 
We hear of Noah, what the Lord has told to Noah and that he's going to do this. But the first words out of Noah's mouth that are recorded in scripture is curse be Canaan. Really interesting to me. Curse be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be to his brothers. And he also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth and let him dwell in the tents of Shem and let Canaan be his servant. And after the flood, Noah lived 350 years and all the days of Noah were 950 years and he died. So remember just a few minutes ago, I said, who, who was the disrespectful one? And who was the one who came and looked upon Noah's nakedness and then went and told his brothers? Ham, right? Who does Noah curse? Right? Weird. So Canaan is the youngest of Ham. And Ham is the youngest of, of Noah's. Now, the question here, if you guys remember in Genesis 3, so the Lord um, in the garden, the Lord had said, don't eat of this fruit or you're going to surely die. We know that. And then in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve take of the fruit and then the Lord lays out um, these curses. And the question there that we have to ask ourselves, is this descriptive or is this prescriptive? Is the Lord prescribing at this time these curses? Or is this descriptive of what this is what death looks like? I told you this is death. And now this is what it's going to look like. These things are going to happen. I think we can ask the same question here. Is this prescriptive or is this descriptive? Does Noah have the authority to simply say, this is going to happen to you and it's going to happen. I don't think that's happening here. And I think our first hint at that is actually in the blessing. First, the heart of Noah, he doesn't bless Shem and Japheth directly. He blesses the Lord. If you noticed in, uh, well, it's verse 26. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem and let Canaan be his servants. They got a large Japheth and goes on. So I don't, as we look at this, I again think this is descriptive. I think this is Noah. Um, if you remember, as we unpacked from Adam, so we had Cain and Abel and we know what happens with them. And then there's this, and onto the scene comes this new name, Seth. And Seth is like the glimmer of hope, the light at the end of the tunnel that not all is lost because Cain killed Abel, but now we have this new hope in Seth. And so this is the same kind of thing. Remember, we followed that lineage of Seth and it was, we got to Enoch, who was the seventh generation and he didn't experience death because he walked with the Lord. So it's this godly lineage of, of this generations of, of training people to fear. And it says at the end of that, and those are the days that men called on the name of the Lord, right? So it's this creating this um, culture of we're, we're returning back to the Lord as our King. I think what's happening here is Noah is describing to Ham. This is what, this is the world that you're creating in your family. This is the world that you're creating in your boy, that your brokenness, your wickedness, your disrespect, your sexual promiscuity, whatever it may be is you are, that is being handed down to your son Canaan. And at the same time, we know that as we look forward, this is a historical prophecy of what's to come 
in the future. So Jesus, if you go to Luke 17, I think it's 17, you can see the lineage of Christ, right? You trace that back and you're going to land at Shem. And then obviously before that, you're going to land at Noah. So, and also we see in Joshua is when the Israelites um, completely conquer the Canaanites. We see throughout scripture that the Canaanites are just being ruled over and over and over and over again. So this is also a historical uh, flag post, you could say, uh, of, of what's to come. I think it's also an indication for us of the seriousness of sin. Again, you guys remember I said for the last few weeks that as soon as we hit Genesis 3, there's all these little stories and we've been going through unpacking the whole thing, but there's an overarching story and it's the overarching story from three to 12 is this downward, quickly downward spiral, downward trajectory of humankind. And it's pointing to the gravity of sin, that sin destructs, that sin enslaves, that sin ultimately leads to death. We see here that this sin is going to lead this line into slavery. Now, side note, just because I was even struggling if I have to bring this up because it's so ridiculous, but this verse here is, this actually is where pet doctrines are a pet doctrine has been formed. And it is the verse that if you ever get in a conversation with someone with this, I just want you to be armed. Um, This is the, the verse That is the jump off point of why black people should still be slaves is that ham is then translated to black or hot. And that ham was um, Ethiopia, Africa, Egypt. And so that this is God's blessing of enslaving black people. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, this is, this is not, he, he's speaking not of any, you can go through. So there's a, a scholar Goldberg is his last name. I forget. He did thir- a 13 year study on this and he, there's, um, he couldn't find any racial division within Judaism. Uh, I forget the exact dates, but this is, this, it's missing the point of what's happening here. The, what's happening here is, as we've been covering from the beginning, from the first Sunday night we did this, it's a condition of the heart. This is nothing to do with a people group of skin color. Uh, so there's that. I don't even spend more, any more time on it, but it's ridiculous. So if someone comes to you and gives you the, uh, well, the Lord... Um, yeah, black people are supposed to be enslaved because they're descendants of Ham because they're from Africa. Navigate that one. Point them to Christ. Um, and that's that. We all in agreement on that one? Okay, good. Uh, so yeah, as I was studying, that one just kept coming up. So I was like, I guess I think we need to go over that, as silly as that is. Um, so anyway, sin enslaves. As uh, I was talking with Ken before we started and my kids are a wealth of sermon analogies 
And so I will use them again tonight. It's really funny. So a guy that I really respect, uh, his name's Nate Stead, uh, did ministry with him over at Living Oaks. He's a longtime buddy, but just, he didn't realize it, but he discipled me so much over there as I just watched him uh, teach every week. And then I was working with him every day in the church. Just awesome. But he used his kids every week as he taught in youth group. And he literally made me, um, Katie and I are newlyweds and he literally made me just desire to have kids because his analogies were so awesome. He says, I can't wait to have kids. Cause it's just like endless analogies. And then as stuff started happening with my kids, it was just like, that's an analogy. And I would like write it down or something. I was so excited. But so this one happened a while ago and I still remember it. Um, and it just reminded me of like how Slynn and slaves is and we were in our living room. Everly was tiny. So she's almost four now, but I don't know how old she was. She was, she wasn't, uh, she was barely walking. So maybe she was one because she started walk, walking early. So I think she was one. And there was a, like one of those white plastic crates, like with holes all in it. You could put files in it or toys or whatever, but it's sitting in the living room. I'm sitting on the couch, just watching her play. And she crawls over to it. She gets up on it. So she uses it to stand. And then she kind of like crawls in And then right as I think she's getting past the tipping point, realizes she doesn't want to be in there. And then she falls in the crate and then she would just sit in the crate and cry. And so it's like, first time it happened, I was like, Oh, she fell. So I go pick her up, took her out of the crate, set her down. And it was just like, what she did next blew my mind. Cause I was like, this is us. Is she crawls over to the crate. She uses the crate to stand up. She kind of starts to go over. She realized she doesn't want to be over. Boom. She's back in it. Starts bawling. And it's not like she's falling hard. She's, she's crying that she's in the crate. So I go back over, pick her up, set her a little further away, crawls over to it, stands up, goes in it, cries over and over. And to where it literally became, I was fascinated by it. I was like, what is happening in this little heathen brain? That you were just returning to your sin, like dog to its vomit. You're returning to this crate. So I kept setting her out, setting her out, setting her out. And then it was literally this analogy was happening in real time as I'm just like doing this science experiment with my daughter's emotions. Um, so then she, I set her out and then I go, and this is what, like in my head, this is all happening really fast, but I was like, and this is what our father does. And I set her aside and then I kicked the, the crate and I got rid of the crate. And it's like, isn't that what the Lord does for us in our own self? We're just magnets to our sin. We are magnets to those things that easily beset us, that easily trip us up. And it takes a faith and a trust in the Lord that if you're going to con- if, if I'm going to conquer this thing, know how it's going to happen. God, it's going to be you conquering this thing. It's going to be you killing this thing that enslaves me. This little white crate that enslaves me. This is my, I'm playing my daughter right now. Dad, I don't have the power to conquer my desire to crawl in that crate. Even though as soon as I jump into that sin, I immediately regret it. And I'm stuck in it. It's not as fun as I thought it would be. It's I, the, everything that comes with that, that after that high of sin, that just downward spiral of depression, right? My daughter looking at me, I need you to conquer this for me because I can't. 
And that's the, that's the hope that we have. But this is, I think, something that we can pull out of this. That we see, again, this over, we're, we're zooming back. And we're seeing this overarching picture. So we've unpacked it, kind of the nitty gritty. But let's see the overarching picture. Is that sin. This is a family that just got saved and saw the whole earth decimated. And they were spared by grace through the faith of Noah. And then how quickly we're not into a new chapter. We're in, in nine and all of a sudden just wickedness, a disrespect. And we're going to see again, like I told you from three to 12, we're seeing humanity just tank is we're going to see again, humanity turning inward, looking to self and just taking God's creation, which was taking chaos and turning it into order. And we're seeing humanity go, no, we're going to take that order. And we're going to, we're going to run headlong back into chaos. There's a turn to Matthew 24, 36 through 39. So here's what I want us to go away with. This is the flood story. Um, so what, what can we take from it? Hopefully you've already gotten stuff out of this, but one, it was last week's theme. I think it's this week's theme because we're still going through the flood story is Noah was a, a man who lived by faith. Uh, we read Ephesians two last week, but it's by grace that we even save not of works, lest any man should boast. Noah wasn't perfect. You don't need to compare yourself to Noah. No one was sinful. No one was flawed, but Noah had something. Noah was faith. You guys remember my analogy last week when I was taking those kids out surfing is that there's no difference from the kid who has autism. Who's out on the water with me from the kid who has autism. Who's on the sand. The only difference is one of them had faith to trust me that I would take care of him out in the ocean. And then he surfed. He did a lot of stuff. Same thing as we trust in the Lord as we have faith in him, it's not, it's not our good works that draw us to something, but our faith in him of what he's done for us, that he lived the life that we should have lived and he died the death that we should have died. And that he has grafted us in the family and he's given us his righteousness, covered us with his righteousness. And now we are walking upright. And so we are on this side of the cross, saved by grace through faith. And Noah was on that side of the cross and he is saved by grace through faith. So that's how, you know, all of scripture that's it's continuous. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We are saved by grace through faith. Secondly, and this is something that, um, I think, well, I know we can apply this daily. So I had you turn to Matthew 24, 36. Um, this is also recorded in Luke 17. So the story of Noah is referenced a few times in the new Testament. Um, Noah is obviously referenced in the lineage of Christ. Um, Noah is also referenced in first and second Peter, uh, which is really interesting. Noah gets lumped in together with lot. Um, so Peter uses Noah as an analogy. Um, also Noah is in the hall of faith, which is Hebrews 11. Um, but what we're going to unpack tonight is also in, in Matthew and in Luke, uh, the story of Noah is used to describe how Christ is going to come back. And so before I read this, I want to remind us of um, what happened at the beginning of the flood. So uh, I don't have it 
in front of me, but um, I know close enough what it says is in the beginning of before the flood is that the Lord saw that the people were violent, that they were wicked. Right. And so then he decided that there was uh, man was wicked and that he was going to bring the flood. Right. So this is knowing that having that in the back of your mind, let's read through Matthew 24. Uh, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the son, but the father only for as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man for in those for as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will the same, so will be the coming of the son of man. If you read it in Luke, uh, the other one in Luke 17, um, it's almost verbatim, the exact same thing. Notice of what's happening here. There's no mention of violence and there's no mention of wickedness. What are people doing? They're eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. So going back to what I was saying before of how I think it's easy for us to go homosexuals. Oh man, wickedness, transgender, man, wickedness. Oh, people, drugs, wickedness, uh, pornography, wickedness. But we don't take inventory. And I think in this verse, it's subtle But I think in the New Testament, in both Matthew and Luke, the sin that's happening here is just people are just too busy. People are too busy for the Lord. They're eating, they're drinking. Yeah, they're ignoring the Lord. And I think that's something that, I don't know about you, but I can relate to more. I can relate to that a lot. They're eating, they're drinking, they're marrying, they're giving in marriage, and all of a sudden, bam. It happens. The Lord comes. And what were we, what were we busy doing? Being busy running from this thing to that thing. Trapped in uh, pastor Rob. I feel like he said it a lot lately, but trapped in the jungles of prosperity or trapped in the jungles of affluence that we can do so many things that we have the prosperity to do so many things that we're just busy Busy, busy, busy. And we don't stop and take time to do, hey, Lord, do you not want me doing this thing? Do I need to have more free time? I'll give you full on, me being transparent example in in my life. Um, And this is convicting. We, so we got our house over here. And when we lived in Camarillo, our house was a revolving door, like, that's just a ministry that I love is that we always, anybody's welcome to our house at any time. And so we got this house over here. And for the longest time I've been saying to people, as soon as the house is done, we need to have you over for dinner. As soon as the house is done, we need to have you over for dinner. And guess how many people I've had over for dinner? Zero. None. Yeah. It's not, it's terrible. And granted, like I can find, that's the thing that that's, that's the convicting part too is I can find excuses. We have two kids. We have a third that's on the way. We have our own family issues. The church is moving like tomorrow. 
and there's so much to do. Like I have a sermon to prep every week. I have worship ministry that I need to take care of. There's a care ministry that I have to make sure that everybody's taken care of in that. There's, there's a hundred connect cards that I have to send emails out for. Okay. But am I stopping and asking, Lord, what would you have me do? And I think, I really do believe that, uh, maybe as I say those excuses, you're like, yeah, man, seriously, you really have excuses. Don't worry about it. Um, but like knowing me, like I know my situation, I have time for it. My wife and I can have somebody over and we just haven't because we're, it's the busy thing. And I think that's where, uh, that's something that we can walk away from tonight. A bullet point is that we walk by faith, but also that our faith has actions and our faith is then going to, to, to push us to die to ourselves. It's no longer I who lives, but it's Christ who lives in me. Right. And so therefore, Lord, there is no, for us, this is the thing. Maybe for some people it's, there's nowhere for me to, it's, it's so hard to get involved in something. I don't think that's our issue here. I think our issue is we have too many options and we go after everything and we're not laser focused on Lord. What would you have me do? Okay. That's what I'm doing. Then I'm focusing on that. I'm running towards that until you tell me to go left. You tell me to go. I went right, left, whatever they are until you tell me to turn. And I think, uh, we'd all be served well by bringing that before the Lord and not being a people that's simply busy, not being people that's simply, um, running around and using busyness as productiveness, using busyness as productivity, but that we would be seeking the Lord in what our individual giftings are. I know for a fact, and I hope you know this for a fact, each one of you, we're all designed different. When you look around the room, none of us look like each other, maybe some closer than others, but we're all different, right? Each one of us has not only been designed uniquely in our appearance, but we all have unique, unique, meaning one gift, ability, calling in life, that you are specifically called to that you will impact more than if I were to step in that role to try to fill it. And so as we all find what that specific calling is, that unique gifting is in our lives, that's when the body of Christ is so active. And we see that in scripture in that if all of us want to be a finger, there's not a lot happening in the body of Christ if everybody's a finger. But if the foot realizes it's a foot, and the calf realizes it's a calf and the knee realizes it's a knee and the so on and so forth. Then the body of Christ is functioning because we are functioning in the giftings that the Lord has given us. And we're not distracted by the 31 flavors that we have out in the world of just busyness. Right? So be encouraged in that. Remember that it was this flood story is, is speaking of the faithfulness of our father. And though we see an entire, besides eight people, we see the entire earth destroyed. Remember there's grace and mercy happening here. We're going to see in the story of Babel, we're going to see through an odd way. The Lord is showing grace and mercy because it's the wickedness of, of man's heart. So know that our God is faithful is that we are saved by grace through faith and that he has a unique gifting and calling in each one of you. So run after it, find it. Um, and then by faith, 
as Noah did, did something that maybe was out of his, for sure was out of his comfort zone and build an ark had it rained, that the Lord is going to empower you to walk in those good works as you move forward. 